0: We started out the year last week with these eight days of prayer because prayer is a lifeblood of the church. We will not be a church that grows spiritually. We will not be effective as a church for the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not please God if we aren't serious about prayer. Last week we began the new year, and as we did, I gave you three reasons why, as God's children, we are to pray. First, we are commanded to pray. It's clear in God's Word that His Word commands us to be people of prayer. Secondly, we have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who prayed, and if Jesus prayed, God in human flesh realized He needed to pray, then who are we not to pray? Yes, we definitely need to pray. The third example we have in God's word is the is the example of the early church. Very early, they realized they needed to pray. They needed to be people of prayer, and they gathered together and they prayed faithfully. They were obedient, and they continually practiced prayer as they trusted God, as they took steps of obedience in their lives, sharing the the word of truth, even in the spite of in, in the face of of uh, stiff opposition when they were told to stop preaching and teaching. The truth of Jesus Christ. What did they do? They got together as as the early church and they prayed for God's power. God poured out His power on them and they kept preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many more reasons than those three that I gave you last week, but I I said last week, I think those are kind of the big three. You know, those are really three very important reasons why we ought to pray as God's church. We could also say that we're to pray because, well, simply because God answers prayer. If you don't pray, you don't have answers, right? You have not because you ask not. We could also say that we pray because prayer strengthens our faith, and it does that, doesn't it? As we pray, as we pray with that attitude of dependence upon God and trust in Him, God strengthens our faith. It also encourages us as we pray, correct? I mean, you, you have been faithful in prayer this, these last few days. You find, You find yourself encouraged, do you not? As you put your dependence upon God and you... Kneel before him in prayer, and, and there are many more reasons. But as we began the year with prayer, we did so not only because it's important, but also because I wanted us to practice praying. I want you to do it. I want you to practice praying. I want you to get into the daily habit of praying for, for the work that God has placed you in the midst of, in, in this, as a part of this church, God's church, the body of Christ under the head, Christ, right? So I wanted you to practice praying. So I'm here to tell you, I don't want you to stop at the end of today. Don't stop praying. Just let these eight days help you get started and maintain a faithful habit of daily prayer for the work that God is doing in our midst and intends to do through us as individual individual believers as we're obedient to Him. I'm hoping that during these eight days of prayer that you've been refreshed, that you've been encouraged as you prayed. And that I certainly hope that from the teaching last week and our teaching today, and you're praying throughout the week, that you're you're convinced already, and if you're not already convinced that you'll be convinced by the time we're done, that it is important that you be faithful in prayer, not not collectively as a church, but as individuals praying and then coming together collectively as a church, yes. We can't just say, Well, we pray as a church if we don't pray. As individuals so I hope you're convinced and if you're not I hope you will be by the end of today that you need to be prayer a prayerful person a person who is faithful in prayer and and praying with faith but I'm here to to challenge you with something this morning about your praying do you know that there is something that will hinder our prayers more than anything else even if we're trying really hard to be faithful in prayer. Do you realize there's something that will hinder our praying? More than anything else, I think, do you know that there's something God's Word clearly instructs us to do that failing to practice this will have a direct effect on whether or not God answers our prayers? So that you could be praying and you could be working at this being faithful in prayer and yet if you're not doing this thing that scripture clearly points to again and again god will choose not to answer your prayers i want you to see it as we go to first john chapter 4 would you go with me this morning i want to read first john chapter 4 and let's see if you can pick up the theme i'll tell you what if you can't pick up the theme in first john 4 then um We've got problems here because it's really obvious the, the topic, the subject, the theme in 1 John chapter 4. I want you to follow along with me and bear with me as I read all of the verses here in, in chapter 4 because I think they help us, they will help us deepen our understanding of the heart of God for his children. Where does God want us as his children? How does he want us to live? We see it here. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, what is it that will hinder the answers to our prayers more than anything else? I'm guessing you saw the repeated elements, the repeated theme here in chapter 4 of 1 John. Even if we are completely convinced that we need to pray more. And even if we try really hard to pray more, there's one thing that hinders our prayers, I think, more than anything else, and it's a lack of love for one another. I want you to hear, I wanted you to hear all of 1 John 4, because it sets the context so well for one verse I want to go back to. Would you go back to verse 11? Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, you've heard it said, and maybe you've experienced it, that familiarity breeds contempt. I think one guy who knew what that meant was the fellow who said that the definition of mixed emotions was seeing his mother-in-law drive his brand-new truck over a cliff. He knew that familiarity breeds contempt, right? Sometimes you know what that's like. You know that it's it's very possible that you've experienced that in your marriage, right? Husbands and wives, that that you know each other so well that you can find reasons not to love one another, right? You know it, parents, that you can find reasons not to love your children. And children, you know that you can find reasons not to love your parents, right? It can also be true of us in the church as God's children, that we, the more we spend time together, the more we get to know each other, the more we minister alongside, even doing good things alongside each other, the easier it is for us to pick out the things that we don't like and say, that drives me nutty, right? And then we begin to show it drives us nutty. You know, it's a grievous thing and a very difficult thing when God's people won't work together at getting along. I don't ever want to be at that place as a church where we where we don't get along, where we're just showing up, where we're even going through the motions, doing the work that God has given us because we're supposed to, but we can't stand each other. That is, I think that is grievous to God. I know that it's grievous to pastors for... For longer than i 've been alive, my father has been a pastor and still is and I have seen him I remember growing up in a pastor 's family, seeing my dad grieved over people who would not get along they 'd come to the same church, but they wouldn't talk to each other they wouldn't get along. I remember on one occasion I, I I only heard of it i guess i i wasn't i might have been there I was probably a baby. two people arguing about something that they thought was very important, standing in the front of the Sanctuary, arguing about something, uh, of all things, where the poinsettias should go, where they should be placed, on the floor, on the platform, on the floor, on the platform. My dad took him and placed him in a snowbank outside the back of the church. He was, I would guess, he was young and impetuous then, and I think he quickly realized that that was not how a pastor should respond to those who were not getting along in his church. I don't think he was in that church a whole lot longer after that. It's a grievous thing to those who lead lead you when you can't get along with one another. I can also speak to this myself. Uh, I've not been a pastor anywhere near as long as my father, but for 15 years of pastoral ministry, God has, has encouraged me greatly. But there have been times when I've been deeply discouraged and, and very disheartened when God's people refuse to get along. I can also speak to this as a parent. There's nothing that grieves me more. When my kids aren't getting along, I have to stop what I'm doing immediately and go straighten things out, right? But there's something precious about when when they're actively loving each other. That's totally different, isn't it? Right, parents? Am I the only one who has kids who don't get along, right? We know what that's like. You know what? We also have a heavenly Father, I think, who knows what that's like. When his children don't get along, when they when they aren't actively seeking to love one another, I think it grieves, deeply grieves God. One of the reasons I say this is because there is very clear evidence in the Scriptures, in God's Word, that points to ser- the serious consequences for our lack of love for one another, serious consequences for our praying. If you're serious about prayer, you need to take this seriously. One of the places I think this is clearest is in First Peter, and there are three places in First Peter that remind us and warn us about the importance of maintaining proper relationships with one another. And the one thing that I think is very clear in each of these three examples is that a failure to love one another will be a serious hindrance to our praying. The first the first caution we see in 1st Peter is to husbands, in fact, when it says in 1st Peter 3-7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The second caution is given to all believers in general, and it's seen just a couple of verses later, 1 Peter 3. Listen to verses 8 through 12. A Part of this is a quote from the Psalms. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, And a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And the third caution we're given is in 1 Peter four seven, where it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled means avoid sin, right? Get, a, get away from sin. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So very clearly, There's something in each of those passages, I think, that points to a lack of effectiveness in our prayer lives. And what each points to is the fact that failing to live the way God's word instructs us hinders our prayer lives. Stated positively, living in obedience to God's word leads to powerful and effective prayers. Says James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So going back to 1 John 4 and verse 11, what I see here reminds me of what I long to see in my own family. It it reminds me of what I, I long to live out faithfully in my own life, and it's what I long to see lived out in our church family that we that we love one another and with instruction like that which we have in first peter about our prayer life i i'm convinced i believe that this is god's desire too he it's very clear isn't it again and again in god's word he says a new commandment i give to you love one another So much so that God says, if we won't follow his word, if we won't live right, if we won't work at getting along, and sometimes it's work, let's not deny it. If we won't work at getting along, then he will not answer our prayers. That's pretty serious. Don't you think so? So I'd like to point you to something that I think will help encourage you to love one another for the sake of the joy that will be yours when you're getting along, when you're receiving the blessings of God because his eyes is upon you and he's blessing those who are obedient with your brothers and sisters in Christ alongside you and for the sake of your prayers There's great joy when we're loving one another. I want you to look again at 1 John 4 and verse 11 because I think that passage actually holds something that we all need to hear again and again. And it's not just do more, do better, work harder, try more than you have before. It's something very different. That passage, that verse, verse 11, holds what we all need to be overwhelmed with if we're to love each other as we should. It's the first half of verse 11. Sometimes when we read verse 11, we really hear the second half. But I want you to hear the first half, again, where it says, Beloved, if God so loved us. And there's a whole description about how God loves us preceding that, yes? So, beloved, and if you're God's child, you are God's beloved. If God so loved us which I think makes us think, how, how does God love us? How, how did He love us? And I think we do know how much God loves us, don't we? If, you're, if you've been here for any length of time, you hear it again and again about how much God loves us. If you read God's Word, you see it again and again about how much God loves us. We do know, I think we know, down deep in our hearts, how much God loves us. But how often we forget when it comes to loving others. It does us good to remember and dwell on that fact that God loves us so much. He sent His Son to take the punishment for our sins. And back in verse 10, there's a statement that helps us see more clearly the depths of God's love for us. Go look at verse 10 again. In this, it says, is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that's a big word, isn't it? It's a word you won't find in every translation of the Bible, but it's good to hear it because When you hear it, it makes you go looking for a proper understanding, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you want to go home and look that word up really quick? I'll help you. I'll help you. John Murray's explanation in his book, The Atonement, I think is most helpful when he writes, The doctrine of the propitiation is precisely this, that God loved the objects of his wrath so much that he gave his own son to the end, that he, by his blood, should make provision for the removal of his wrath. It was Christ's so to deal with the wrath that the loved that's us, child. That, that's, that's you, that the loved would no longer be the objects of wrath, and love would achieve its aim of making the children of wrath the children of God's good pleasure. That's propitiation, being, and rightly so, as we rebel against God and, and we fight against God, being the objects of God's wrath, rightly so, because God is just and righteous and holy and His wrath is just being the objects of His wrath, but through Jesus Christ being changed into the the children of God, the objects of God's good pleasure. So verse 10, I think, gives a very clear picture of the depths of God's love for you. And especially helpful is that word, propitiation. And verse 11 shows you what you are called to as a result of, of God's love for you. So if you want to learn to love one another, you must first be overwhelmed, I think, with God's love for you. Until you're overwhelmed by God's love for you, you will not be able to love one another. You see, there's something more I want you to see. You are not left to your own resources, here's a glimmer of hope, a a huge, uh, maybe not just a glimmer, a huge and bright star of shining hope here. You are not left to your own resources here when it comes to loving one another. When it comes to loving one another, you have help if you are God's child. There's a cue to this earlier when verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? Now, that's Christ in you. When you become a believer, that's Christ at work in you. Theologically, we say, that's the Holy Spirit. And yes, we're very privileged as God's children to be given a third person of the Trinity to indwell us, to empower us, to convict us when we're not loving one another. And this is great news when you put this all together because we're encouraged to learn that love for one another doesn't happen in our own strength. And frankly, we don't always feel like loving one another, do we? So we need all the help we can get, and we have the greatest help there is. When you get to verse 7, lest we be inclined to think we have in our own strength what it takes to love one another, we hear this reminder, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So God's children can only love one another because love is first from God. Let me, let me challenge you with something right here. If you are struggling and you find it very hard to work up enough courage and strength to love, you need to go back to the beginning and go back and say, have I really and truly repented of my sin and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Because you find it impossible to love others like God loves you. I'm not saying that you don't fail at this. I'm suggesting that if you can't find it in yourself at all, to love one another as you should, in obedience to God's word, you need to go back to the beginning and say, have I really trusted in Jesus Christ? Have I trusted in his finished work on the cross? Paying the price for my sin. Have I been overwhelmed with how much God loves me? Maybe you're an unbeliever. You know it. And you're hearing this and realizing that your relationships in this world are out of, out of place, out of kilter. They're not right. And you know you need help. I'm telling you, this is the only help you're going to get that's worth anything placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life, for salvation, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, taking the word, helping you obey and love one another as you should. Husbands and wives, this is what you need. You need to be overwhelmed with the love of God for you. You need to understand how much you've been forgiven in Jesus Christ so that you'll be willing to forgive your spouse parents, and children, you need to be overwhelmed with the love of God for you. That God's people who make up His church, you need to be so grateful. You need to be so thankful that God grows in you His love for one another because it's evident to you that He has forgiven you so much oh how thankful we must be if we're to be the people god wants us to be we're beginning a new series of scripture verses that we're memorizing together if you look at the front of your program if you don't if you don't come for sunday school you you miss, uh, you miss the fact that we recite that verse together every week. And every month we choose a new passage. So every month this year, our passages are going to be about joy, thankfulness, praise. Because we need reminders of how good God is, how gracious he is, and how much he has blessed us with his love. And we need to be a grateful and thankful and joy-filled people overflowing with thankfulness to God. And my heart's desire is that some of that joy will spill out of you toward one another and that you will love one another in obedience to God and His Word. Because God's children can only love one another because love is first from God. And then in verse 9 we hear this. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Remember I said that you're not in this alone, right? That you're not alone in this to just to to steal the Nike slogan that's really old now, just do it, right? It's not about just doing it. It's about trusting Christ, It's about being grateful to God. It's about being thankful as you take steps of obedience, yes. But you're not left alone so that we might live through Him. It's by His power. It's by what He's accomplished for you on the cross. It's by the work of His Spirit in you. So not only do we have the example of God's love in Jesus Christ to live by, we also have the ability to love because of Christ. And we only are truly living through Christ when by the work of the Word and the Spirit of God, God is changing our attitudes from fleshly and selfish to Christ-like and loving. And that doesn't happen automatically. But it happens by God's power in you as you get into the word and you take daily steps of obedience and you trust in him and you believe that no matter what you see, that God is working. So I take all of this to mean that love for others is something that the spirit of God living in me initiates. And I take this to mean that you will you will have love for one another, not because you're all such great people, and you are. I love you. You're great people. You're a great encouragement. But, but it's not just because you're great people that you're going to love each other. You're going to love each other because God is beginning the work and doing the work and proceeding to do the work through you. Now, you will have love for one another when you have yielded to the Spirit of God and you have yielded to the work of God by His Word as he initiates and perfects his love in you. And I think we saw that when we read verses 16 and 17 earlier, when it says, Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected in us, as we abide in God, as we walk with the Lord. So God's love grows, and God's love is perfected in you as you walk in obedience to his word day by day. That's abiding in God. In fact, that's an identifying characteristic of believers in Jesus Christ. The believer's lifestyle is to be one of love for one another. As Paul writes, Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. That's I think that's daily activity. <laughs> you know, that's a, obedience. You're not sitting. It doesn't say sit in love, right? Because you could go nowhere. It doesn't say stand in love, because you can also go nowhere standing. It says walk in love. I think that's daily activity. Like getting on your feet is supposed to be like if it's, I, I, the other day, I got up from the ground. I dropped something. I picked. I was like, "Oh man, it's getting harder to get up." Some of you know what that's like, right? The older you get, the harder it is to get up off the floor. It's like, "Wow, gravity's really want me to stay here." But you know how it is when you get up and you just walk around. You don't even think about it, right? Most of us don't need to think about walking. We just get up and we go somewhere. That's the way our love is supposed to be growing. In that, we just do it. We just begin to love because we know God loves us and He's working in us. And as we take steps of obedience and we walk in love, God grows in us that ability to just love as he loves us. And that, I think, is a no-strings-attached kind of love. You know what I mean? We love one another not for what we'll get if others return our love. You know, I'll love them because they're pretty good givers. I'll, I'll love them and they'll give back to me and I benefit. No, no, we're not talking about that kind of love. We ought not love one another for what we'll get in return, but because God loves us. Do you remember that? Can you do that? When it's time to love someone who's hard to love, can you remember, but God loves me. I don't need to care about whether they're going to love me back. I don't need to care if they're lovable. God loves me. God loves us. And you realize, and we see it here, His Spirit gives us the ability, and His Word shows us how. So love, God's way, won't be self-centered, it'll be others-centered, right? It won't be self-serving, which is our human nature, it'll be others-serving. And it won't be selfish, it'll be selfless, like Jesus Christ loved, right? And this should be true of us if we're growing in Christ's likeness because the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love, Right? It's the love of Christ seen very clearly in his dying for us while we were still sinners. The Bible says even enemies fighting against God. God didn't wait for us to stop being his enemies. He stepped in and said, I'm sending my son to die for your sins, even though you hate me. So how important is this? that we dwell, I think, on the depths of God's love for us as we seek to grow in the love of Christ for one another, I think it's at the very heart of God's plan for the church. I think it's at the very heart of God's plan for each of us as his children that we love one another. Now, why do I say that? Why do I think it's at the very center, the heart of, of his plan for us as his church and as individual believers? I think it's at the heart because as we love one another, those who don't know Christ they will see very clearly our genuine love for one another, and they, in turn, will believe in him. I think we hear that very clearly, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, in the words of Jesus when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, hear this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But it's also for the sake of our prayers. You realize that? Our witness is affected by whether or not we love. Our prayers also affected by whether or not we love I think this is why God takes so seriously a lack of love for one another that he will not answer our prayers because our lack of love for one another dishonors God in the eyes of the world. Our lack of love for one another besmirches the name of Christ in the eyes of the world. And so God says, no, look, you're you're defaming my name. I couldn't possibly answer your prayers. I think if you want to have the greatest impact for the Lord Jesus Christ in 2012, and I trust you want to, I hope you want to have the greatest impact for the Lord Jesus Christ in the days ahead. If you want God to hear and answer your prayers, and I trust you want Him to hear and answer your prayers, I hope you're growing in faithfulness through these eight days of prayer. And you need to remember often, and you need to dwell on the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, and then you need to practice loving one another as Christ has loved you. And that love will be evident to those you serve for God's glory. And God will hear and answer your prayers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, precious heavenly Father, as we... As we close in prayer this morning, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts how important it is that we be a people who are characterized by the very love we see demonstrated through the actions of Jesus Christ, who made himself nothing, who took on the form of a servant, the one who is in the image of God, considered himself not worthy to be counted as God, but came and served, served, not only that, but gave up his life so that we might be ransomed from our sins, the pay the, the, the payment for our sins paid by Christ. And God, I pray that you would grow in us the conviction that we ought to love one another, that you might be glorified in and through us as we love one another, and that our prayers might not be hindered. As we trust in you in prayer. God make us a people of prayer, make us a people of deep and great and strong faith. Grow us in Christ likeness as we learn to love one another as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.